The reading for this morning is from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 12, the Jerusalem Council. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. If you've been with us, you know we're in the book of Galatians. We're going to jump right back into it this week. We have uh, we started a couple weeks ago. We're actually in our third week now, and we're going to start into uh, chapter 2 of the book of Galatians. And um, what we've been saying is just getting the context of the letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia. We need to have a general idea of what he's writing about and who he's writing to so that we get the fullness of his argument and the context and what he's saying. And our first reading this morning from Acts 15 really tells us exactly what he's writing to address. Acts 15.1 is basically what he's writing to address. And Acts 15.1 says this, and, uh, But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And that's what had crept into the churches in Galatia. And that's what Paul writes to address. And what we looked at two weeks ago at the beginning of the book, Paul jumps straight in and he goes right to, it's in Christ alone by faith alone. And he starts right away, even, even in his introduction to the book, even in his greeting, he's preaching Christ alone and grace alone. Like, like we just sang. I said that a couple of weeks ago. We sang that song, Christ Alone, a couple of weeks ago. That is the perfect theme song for Galatians. That's what Paul's saying over and over. It's by faith alone and what Christ has done for you. And he starts right away into that argument, you know, going right at that very foundational truth. But then we saw last week in verse 10, and then moving through even to what we're looking at this week, Paul starts to make a defense of himself. And the reason he does this, very practical reason, those in Galatians were, were trusting other teachers over Paul. So it makes sense that he would start to give a defense of himself, because really what's behind the misunderstanding is they've taken what Paul taught, and now they started to 
take what other teachers thought, and they're, they're trusting them over Paul. So Paul starts a defense of himself. This is very practically saying, you should be listening to me. And what he says was, as he gave us his very biggest reason, the linchpin of his argument is, I got my gospel from God. I got it directly from God. What I'm telling you, I got from Jesus. If you know Paul's testimony, road to, to Damascus, God strikes him blind, tells him. He gets his, his gospel directly from God. And that was the main part of his argument. And then he started to move through why you should trust that, why you should trust what I'm telling you. And what he started to do is he uses his testimony. He starts to talk about what he used to look like before he was a believer, what happened when he says, uh, what we looked at last week, when God was pleased to reveal his son to me. And then all of a sudden there's this huge change you see in Paul's life. And what he uses, uh, what we saw at the end of chapter one last week, is he's using his testimony on why they should trust what Paul's saying. This week, we're going to follow that that uh, that logic and that teaching of Paul defending, but it's, it's a little different twist now. Last week he was saying, you should trust me. Now this week what he's doing is, he uh, well let me go back. Last week he's saying, I got my gospel alone through Christ. I, I'm independent of the apostles. I didn't get it from them. I myself am an apostle. God revealed it to me. Now what he's doing is he's turning and saying, he's answering the objection that the apostles, the apostles, the original 11 now, without Judas, right? The original apostles in Jerusalem are teaching something different than Paul. And he says, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. So what he starts to do now in chapter 2 is he kind of turns his argument a little bit to say, I'm in perfect accordance with the apostles. We're teaching the same thing. There is no rift here. And the way Paul does that, and that's what we're going to look at this morning, is he recounts when he went to Jerusalem and actually met with the apostles. That's how he makes his argument. But as we look through that, there's a lot of wonderful teaching and great depth that comes out of Paul just recounting in these ten verses what happened when he went to Jerusalem. So if you'll look with me, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to work our ways through, through uh, verses 1 through 10. And I want you just to have that in the back of your mind that uh, Paul's making the argument that he is in accord with the apostles and why they can trust him. That's still kind of where he's going with this. So let's look at verses 1 through 10. It says, Paul writes, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. And I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that we might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw I had been trust, entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right-hand fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. 
Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray, and then we're going to look through, work through those ten verses. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this divine meeting that happened uh, almost 2,000 years ago, that the gospel was preserved, that it uh, became clear and apparent that uh, to all involved that it was through your work alone and nothing else. I thank you for preserving that for us, that truth. We pray that uh, we would see that clearly this morning as we work through these passages, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to see exactly what you want us to see. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to look at this trip that Paul takes, and as we work through it, what he's recounting when he went to Jerusalem, there's three things I want us to ask. First of all, why did he take the trip? Why did he go to begin with? Secondly, who does he take and why? And then the third is, what is the outcome, or what does it teach us? So let's start first with why Paul even goes to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles. Look at verse 2, the very first reason. He says, I went up because of a revelation. The first thing Paul says is, I went up because of a revelation from God. God told me to go. God revealed to me that I should go to Jerusalem to discuss these things with the apostles. So I want us to get, as we start here this morning, in a very real way, when Paul goes for this meeting, this was a divine meeting set by God. I want you, Paul, to go and talk to the apostles. So the very foundational thing here is that God sent Paul here to have this meeting, to discuss these things, to make sure that, the, as Paul says in just a minute, that the gospel was preserved. So that's the first part. God sends him to go. But look at why, kind of the practical reason God sends him, and look at the second half of uh, verse 2. So I went up because of a revelation, and I set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. So Paul goes and he says, I went up to make sure that we're, we're saying the same thing, that we are unified, that we are preaching the same gospel. Now I want you to stop and think for just a second what this is not. This is not Paul going up because he's worried that he doesn't have it right. That's not the case. When he says that I went up to set it before them to make sure I was not running in vain, I just want to make sure that we're clear. Paul has no doubts about his gospel. We saw that last week and the week before. If you look at uh, verse 1, he says, An apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And then in verses uh, 11 and 12, he says, I, have, I would have you know that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul is as sure as he can be about what he's saying and what he's doing. And we saw that last week as we worked through Paul's testimony and his life and the change that took place. You don't go off and just start planning churches and go on missionary journeys and do all the things that Paul did if you're unsure about what you're saying. So I just want us to be clear here when he goes and he says, I said it before them, he's not going to, to check himself out. Oh, no, I might have this wrong. That's not what's happening. I think what's happening, I was trying to think of a good example of what, what is really happening. Why does he go and wants to make sure and he says that I was not running or had not run in vain. And I think part of it is when... You have an argument with someone, maybe, and you're, and you're thinking through, and you know, you, I'm sure you can relate to this, at some point, you're, you're having a discussion with somebody, and you know, maybe it's just something as silly as, you know, who won the Super Bowl last year, or whatever, and, and you know you're right. 
can you know without a shadow of a doubt you're right? And you're going, no, I'm positive. I, I absolutely know this. And they're arguing with you, and you go back and forth. And finally you say, I mean, you can think about what we do today. We say, well, well let's look at, let's Google it. Let, let's go look it up. Let's go see, right? And you go sit down and you look it up. And, you, and if, if you know, if you absolutely know you're right and you're sure, you're not going to check it for your own benefit. You're going for their benefit. I'm going to show you. I, I'm positive I'm right. I'm going to show you. And you go and you sit and you look together. And I think that's part of what's happening with Paul as he goes. He knows without a shadow of a doubt he got his revelation from Jesus Christ, from God the Father, directly to him. He says, no man taught it from me. I got it from God. I didn't get it filtered down from other people. I got it directly from God. So he's not worried that he's going to go to Jerusalem and find out, oh no, they've got something different. I think Paul's motive and what he's doing is he wants to make sure that everybody's clear. Because remember, the, the Judaizers, that's, that's those that had come to Galatia saying that you have to become Jewish to become Christians. That's what we call them, Judaizers. And they had come in and they said, no, 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 the apostles are teaching something different. And Paul knows that's not true. He knows because the apostles were with Jesus. They were with him every day. They know, he knows that they have the revelation directly from Jesus just as he does. So his going is not to check himself. His going is to put an end to the speculation that they're teaching different things. You see the difference there. It's not a, a, a waffling kind of, I'm not sure what I believe. It's I know what I believe and I'm going to go and make sure it's clear to everybody. You can think of it negatively. If Paul didn't go, if he said, oh, it's all right, I know I'm right, I just won't go, the rift could have grown, the perceived rift. It wasn't there, but you could see how it could have grown and it could have gone. So Paul says, I'm going to go to make sure. I'm going to go to clarify that there is unity between the original apostles in Jerusalem and myself. That there is unity in the church. That we're all preaching and saying the same thing. So that's why he goes. It's not because he's unsure. So when we talk about why take the trip, the first part is that God told him to. Through a revelation, God ordained this divine meeting. But the very practical side of it is he goes so that he can make sure they're all unified. So everyone's clear on what's happening. So that's the why he goes. The second question I want us to ask is who does he take and why does he take them? And the very first part of the, the who does he take, it's right there in verse 1. If you look at verse 1, pretty simple. After 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas taking Titus along with me. The who he takes is Titus. Barnabas was kind of Paul's travel companion on his missionary, all kinds of stuff, went everywhere with him. But he says, I'm going to take Titus with us when we go to Jerusalem. So he says, I'm going to take Titus. Now, the, the question then becomes, why did he take Titus? Why would he some, come and get Titus and say, you need to come with us? Look with me at verses 3, 4, and 5, because he tells us. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus... So that they may bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. I want you to think about why he took Titus. Think about the argument that's taking place and what's going on and all that's surrounding it. They're saying you have to become Jewish to become a Christian. So Paul says, I'm going to go talk to him about that. That that's not true. That it's in faith alone through Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm going to take my good friend Titus who's an uncircumcised Greek. Which means he's a Gentile, he is not Jewish, he has not, he has not become a Jew to become a Christian, and he brings him with him. And I think the very real reason why Paul takes Titus with him 
is to have a living, breathing example. Here is someone who has become a Christian through faith in Christ alone. They have not become Jewish. They have not done these things. And what it does is he brings him right into it, and it removes any uh, talk of theoretical. Let's just put it out. Oh, this could happen this way or it could happen. He, t- he removes that, and he brings them a living, breathing example and sets it before him so they have to come face to face with a real person who's been converted, a Gentile, and who's not holding to these things, who's saved. And what it does is he brings it right to them, and it's uh, a good and uh, biblical model of conflict, of how to conflict resolution. Paul goes and he brings Titus right in the midst, and he says, let's talk about this. Here he is, and they, they go right to that. And uh, I think when you think about, I started this morning saying that God, the reason he goes is because God, through a revelation, told Paul he should go. This was God's ordained divine meeting for this to happen. And here Paul takes Titus, and we get a very good sense of biblically how you're to approach, how you're to uh, confront a person when there's a misunderstanding. The Bible actually talks quite about that. Um, in Ephesians, it says that we should speak truth and love, that uh, we are to put away falsehood and let each one speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Um, in Matthew 18, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. This is just kind of a practical application as we look at Paul going through that for us today. Very practical for us today. If you have a problem or somebody's saying something and you're not getting along or there's, there's, a, there's a break, you go to that person directly. Just as Paul takes Titus, the very person, the very type of person they're arguing about, and he sets him right in the middle and he says, let's look at this together right here with Titus. It's the same thing. If you have a problem with somebody, you go directly to them and you say, what's the problem? You don't go and talk around the person. You don't talk to other people about the person. That's why Jesus says you go to your brother alone and you talk to him face to face. Because it it removes all kinds of problems if you go directly to the source instead of around to a bunch of other people. It's it's very practical. How about that? The Bible actually knows what it's talking about. It tells us this, that we should do that. But that's just a practical application. But I want you to think even bigger terms, just even outside of our church, our world today. When we say this, when we read this and say this is a divine meeting for God that they're going to have it in a way have it out let's let's see what what God really says and what the gospel really is and they come together and they they come face to face people don't like that today don't uh, don't you tell me what you believe you, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe and let's just leave them alone um, oftentimes the uh, the answer comes forward like all all views are equally valid so don't you try to tell me yours is better than mine that, that's very much politically correct. It's very much kind of the way the world operates today. But I, I stop to say that because you may have had that thought. You may have heard that before and thought, that sounds okay. Wouldn't that solve a lot of problems if we all just step back and we don't? There's people. So I, I don't want to belittle it if you've thought that before. But I want you to think with me for just a second. If you've thought that before, if you've had that kind of thought um, that all views are equally valid, And no one should put their view forward. I want you to stop and think about that view. If you're saying that. All views are equally valid and no one should put their view forth as being correct. That itself is a very exclusive view that you're saying is better than everybody else's view. Does that make sense? You think about that. If I say, no, 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 you can't put your... That's an exclusive 
view based on my beliefs if I say that. It's a self-refuting view because it doesn't hold up to its own argument. And the reason I say that is because a lot of times people say that and we just throw it out there like it means, oh, that's great. Yeah, that sounds really good. And in reality, it doesn't work. And not only does it work, not work, it's in direct contradiction to what the Bible teaches. The Bible cares a great deal about truth. I'll give you a real good example. In John 18, Pilate says to Jesus, so you are a king. And Jesus answers, you say that I am a king, but for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus says, I came to show you how things really are. I came to show you the truth. Christianity is founded on Jesus coming and showing us exactly the truth. God's word showing us the truth. So when somebody says, oh, it's, it's all equally valid and don't, don't give me that, that's in direct contradiction to what the Bible teaches. That's why I take this little rabbit trail to do that because that's very much the way the world perceives a lot of things, but you can't really say that. The sad truth, though, is it's crept into the church. Now, we may say, I, I, I would hope... Uh, A lot of you, or or most of you, or all of you would affirm that truth is in the Bible and we need to speak truth and that's what God's word says. But what happens is it's crept into the church in that we, um, our respect, uh, must say this right where I get it right. We have equated respect of persons to indifference to error. Let me explain that. What I mean is if someone says, uh, we're reading this, we're reading Galatians, and they say, oh, I think this means... That Jesus just really loves everybody and he's going to welcome them all back to love. And it doesn't really matter how you come to God. It's just God is love. And that's what I think Galatians means. That's wrong. That's wrong because that's not what Galatians says. That's not what the Bible teaches. And what happens is I say that the world's view of all views are equally valid has crept into the church. Because somebody will say that and everybody will sit around and they'll go, I know that's not right. But I really don't want to hurt their feelings. And sometimes you just sit around in silence and you go... When, it, when in reality, the loving thing would be say, well, wait a second, that's not what the Bible says. And here's why. And then start to step through those things together. I, I bring all this up to say because this is a divine meeting in which God orders Paul's steps to go and to address false doctrine. It's a very real, you, you understand the application here. And so when we get into church and we start to go, well, I don't want to hurt that person's feelings. Or I'll just let that go. I'll avoid the dispute. If I say something, that might get them upset. And that might... No, just a... I don't say disclaimer. Just a way that you're supposed to do it. The Bible says you're supposed to go in gentleness and respect. Lovingly showing error where it is. But that doesn't mean that you don't do it. Yes, you do it as loving as you can. But you should speak up and answer it. And we should be doing that for and with each other as a body of believers. That if there's an error, there's something starting to creep in, we say, wait a second, let's go to Scripture and look at it. That's why we're saying we're going to take such great care to just say, this is what it says. And by the way, I say that standing here, that cuts both ways. If I say something that you don't see in Scripture, I expect you to come and ask me. I expect you to hold me accountable just as I hold you accountable, because we all have the same Holy Spirit. We all are reading the same Bible, and we should be doing that with and for each other. So very uh, just practical application is when we talk about this. This is so important to have direct conflict when it needs to be. And yes, I am saying that. There's times when we need to have conflict, when we need to say, no, that's not what this says.
but we need to do it in gentleness and love. And we start to see that here of why Paul, and this is getting back, this is all coming back around to why Paul brought Titus with him. So I said, why, why did he, who did he bring and why did he bring him? He brought him to make, to go right to the problem and answer the question. So that gets us to the third part. What is the outcome and what do we learn from it? What's the outcome here? Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. Yet because a false brother secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The first outcome is what happens. They go to have this meeting. And it's Paul and Barnabas and Titus and the apostles, and it says some others slipped in, part of the Judaizers, part of the circumcision party. And they say, no, 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 it's, it's circumcision, it's keeping the law of Moses, it's Jesus plus. And it says Paul and Barnabas and the apostles stood together and they said, we did not yield to them for a second. And do you see what he says at the end of verse 5? He says, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. The truth that you are saved in Christ alone would be preserved for you. I was reading this week, and uh, one of the commentaries was saying how that verse is the greatest news of Galatians. That right there, that God saw fit to preserve his gospel of Christ alone for us. And that's what happened by the conflict. These guys snuck in, and the apostles and Paul together, standing together, saying, no way, it is not that. And it says they didn't yield. They didn't say, oh, maybe it's that. It says they didn't yield for a second. It is definitely not Jesus plus anything. And that's exactly what they say. I want you to understand how beautiful and wonderful that is to consider. Because if we go down that road that we start to add other things to it, it's no longer good news. It's a mess. I mean, just if they would have yielded on that, well, maybe it's circumcision or maybe it's this. It could just as easily be today. Well, you're saved by Jesus plus having a 10-minute quiet time every day. And, and now, I, I hope most of you would say, well, I, I don't believe that. I would, But we function that way a lot of times. If you miss a quiet time or you miss reading your Bible or whatever, and then you go through your day feeling guilty, oh, no, I didn't do it quite the way I should. You're adding something to Jesus. You're adding something to your right standing before God, and that's your works. And that's not to say you shouldn't read your Bible and you shouldn't have your quiet time. You should. But your reason for doing it should be out of gratitude for the love he's given you, not earning your love. You see the difference? The same is true. This is, I was trying to think of a good example. This church, a lot of ties and jackets here, right? That's okay. That's, that's perfectly fine. There's a lot of people who wear ties and jackets here. If you come into church here and you don't have a, let's say you're visiting and you come today and you've got t-shirts and shorts on. I don't see anybody in t-shirts and shorts. But if you want to wear t-shirts and shorts, you can. You have that freedom in Jesus. It doesn't matter. But the reason I say that is if you come in and you go, oh, no, that person's wearing a tie and that person's dressed nicer or that person's whatever, and you start to feel spiritually inadequate because of that, then you're adding something to your faith. You see how that works? The same is true if you get really dressed up and you come in a tuxedo and a top hat and you look great and you're whatever, and you think, I'm closer to God because of how nice I look then you're adding something to your faith. You see, the diff it works both ways. And by the way, there's nothing... Wear, wear what you're comfortable wearing. I'm just going to say, wear however you're comfortable. That's how I'd like for you to come. Because we have that freedom in Christ. Because you are saved alone by...
by what Jesus did for you. The neat part, when you really start, maybe you've heard this before. I've heard it a bunch, but I like to say it. And every time I read it or I think this, I'm knocked over by it. Every time. God, the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you become a Christian. And you say, it's in Jesus alone I'm saved by what he did for me. At that moment, God loves you as much as he will ever love you. If you are a Christian and you're putting in your faith in Jesus and you're coming and drawing near to God by what Jesus did for you, he loves you as much right now as he will ever love you. It's because it's in Jesus alone. It's by his, his faith alone and what he's done for you. Now, the, now the, the flip side of that, and I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I'm going to say it just because it comes to your mind. That doesn't mean you just stop doing everything. You go, oh, well, he loves me as much as us. It's because he loves you that much that you start to try to draw near to him in response to what he's done for you. You see the difference there? But you're not earning more of his love. You just want to know him more because of how much he loves you. Huge difference, but that's what was preserved that day. The freedom that we have in Christ was preserved that day. Look at verse 6. We're almost done here, but look at verse 6. And from those who seem to be influential, that is the apostles and Peter and John, that's who he's talking about, um, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. What Paul says is it doesn't matter that they were apostles and with Jesus. They're saved the same way as you and I are. And then he says, those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. So Paul's going back to his argument. Getting into the context, Paul's saying, they added nothing. We had the exact same gospel and we're saved the same way and we're saying the same thing. What a wonderful confirmation for Paul. I, don't, I really don't believe Paul was doubting any of this. But it's still a wonderful confirmation when we're, what you know God is speaking and saying and then somebody else says it and you go, yeah. Uh, Jim and I were talking about this the other day. We had prayer time on Wednesday morning and we sit together. I think it was Jim. If it's not, you can correct me later. But uh, we were talking about how we sit and we pray together and I'll be sitting there listening to someone else pray and I'm thinking, God, you know, I'm praying in my mind and I'm thinking of something I want to voice as a prayer and then somebody else says it before I even get to it. And then it happens again and again and again. And it's so neat because you start to see the Holy Spirit is moving and it's the same Holy Spirit that's directing Jim's prayer, that's directing my prayer, which is directing Becky's prayer. And we start, you start to see it. And it's this wonderful confirmation. Um, I went and talked to, to Rob and Marilyn Masons this week. And Marilyn was explaining to me her testimony I wish I knew the exact word she used. But she talked about being in the love of the beloved. And I knew exactly what she meant. And it's such a confirmation. The same Holy Spirit. We are saved the same way. Same Holy Spirit directing our prayers. And it bowls you over. But there he is, moving and active right there. And I can't help but think when Paul was there with the apostles, and even though he didn't have doubts, and he wasn't going, oh no, they might say something else. But when they stood up together and said, absolutely not, it is faith alone, how wonderful that must have been. See him celebrating, yes, it's faith alone, it's Jesus alone, nothing else. What a wonderful, wonderful picture and celebration. Then look at the very last thing, verses 7 through 9. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel 
to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. What Paul's saying is it's the same Jesus, and it's the same Holy Spirit, and we're doing the same thing. And then in verse 9 he says, And when Peter and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right-hand fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and the uncircumcised. I'm going to make one last point. It's a wonderful thing to think of, and I hope it unifies us and it unifies your thinking with the world. Paul says here that they said, yes, it's the exact same, and it's the same gospel, and we're all saved the same way, and you have been going to the uncircumcised, and we've been going to the circumcised. Basically, that's going to the Jews and just the whole known world. That no matter where, anywhere in this world today, whether it's in the hills in Afghanistan or Iraq or Africa or wherever, when someone comes to Christ, they are united with us and we're the same. And it's not because of the way they worship. There may be people dancing around a campfire beating drums in Africa right now, praising God, and they are coming to God fully accepted because of Jesus just like we are. And it's a wonderful, beautiful thing to at least consider and think about because we're all united in Christ in one way. It should inform the way we pray for our world, the way we pray for salvation. We're not saved, we're not saved by any specific, uh, the way we do church here. We're saved by Christ alone, by what he did for us alone. That's a beautiful picture. So when we think about and we move forward as we end today, I hope you're excited about the unity we have, that we are saved by Jesus alone and what he's done for us and nothing else, nothing more. Um, that's just a wonderful, beautiful truth that we don't have to add to that, but that we can rest in what he's done for us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the beauty and truth um, of it that you preserved it for us, that you made it so clear that it's in you alone that uh, we are saved, and that is the only way we can come uh, acceptable before you. I thank you for that. I can't ever quite get my head around it, but I just thank you so much for what you've done for us. I thank you for that divine meeting that made sure that uh, just took away all doubt and helped the church to go forward fully planted on the foundation of through what Jesus did for us. We pray all this in your precious name. Amen.